is podcast 202, entitled Pope Francis, the Special Edition. And the music you've just heard was Tears of a Clown by Smokey Robinson, which uh, came out uh, twice, uh, first in 1967. And I first heard it as a freshman in college in 1968, and then it was re-released in 1970. <coughs> And it's one of Smokey's uh, greatest songs, only to be equaled by the song that we'll have on the exact same theme at the end of the cast. And I'm wondering whether you experienced the same kind of emotion that I did as you saw Pope Francis in his visit to Washington, New York, and Philadelphia. What was striking was the way that people were continually and... Um, very uh, openly weeping as they had any kind of contact. I saw this in myself, especially when Mary and I were watching his more intimate encounters, his filmed encounters with uh, a, a, a handicapped person with spina bifida or a, a disabled child or the parents of a disabled child or uh, um, an elderly woman at the tarmac uh, in New York sitting in a wheelchair or... Um, young immigrant children or um, criminals when he went to the um, convicted criminals when he went to the prison in Philadelphia and there was something enormously moving about it and I saw it in myself and then I began to watch it and others and the Guardian which covered the visit I thought very well and with surprising sympathy um, did actually a kind of video clip of people who were uh, crying as they saw um, the Pope. And sometimes you could actually hear people screaming, shouting uh, with enormous emotion. It reminded me of the accounts of the preaching of John Wesley in London in, during the Great Awakening when uh, people's innermost core was touched by what he was saying at the deepest possible level. And I think this happened. Let me give you some examples. There were two uh, ladies that were interviewed on paper who came in from, uh, I think, uh, the Virginia suburbs of Washington to see him, and they were terribly caught up. And uh, it turned out they were Episcopalians and uh, not um, directly connected to his ministry. And uh, this is what one of them said. I, we came to see the Pope. We we're great admirers of his. But actually... I've got a sin in my conscience that I need forgiveness for, and I hope that if I can catch sight of him, I might receive forgiveness today. Now, what a thing to say. Or then there was the couple, um, the two ladies in New York who were crying, but one was extremely articulate, and this is what she said. Um, she said, I'm overcome. I'm absolutely overcome. I came because of my mother, she said. This woman was very articulate and probably in her early 60s. And she said, I, um, I, my mother was very close to the church, implying this woman that she had left the church. My mother was very close to the church, and I really came for her. I felt that somehow by seeing the Pope, I would be close to my mother. And then she just wept and wept and wept. I feel very close to my mother, she said now. I feel deeply blessed to have seen him. And then if you saw <coughs> David Brooks, and Mark Shields on the wrap-up on the NPR Week in Review 
um, on Friday night of the Pope's visit. Uh, David Brooks appeared to be glistening. He wasn't crying, but he was glistening. It was like something was coming off him like in, in The Incredible Shrinking Man when the Grant Williams character is covered with a kind of radioactive dust that makes everything shine, sort of a disco feel. And he was shining as he spoke about the power of the transforming theological religious message, not the political and did he, did he say this about that or that about this, but rather the theological messages, and he was listening. And then Mark Shields came in, who's a Catholic, but, um, you know, a very a classic sort of Washington liberal, I guess he would say. And uh, he described the um, power of the image of Pope Francis visiting the homeless after addressing the Congress instead of going to a fancy dinner in his honor put on by the president or the Speaker of the House or something. He went to the St. Patrick's Catholic Church downtown and uh, uh, saw the homeless men, the 200 homeless people there, and uh, said beautiful things about the Son of Man hath no place to lay his head and uh, the Son of God came into the world without a roof and amazing things. And at that point, uh, he was seized with emotion. Mark Shields was, who's usually quite crusty and, and somewhat sardonic. And he was seized with emotion. You could just tell he was on the verge of tears in a Mark Shields way. Obviously, we know about John Boehner, but I felt the same. There was a moment when he, the Pope entered Madison Square Garden to um, uh, conduct the uh, final mass in New York. And there's just a picture. He, he, he sort of got out of his way overly uh, uh, provided, uh, imposed security. And he went, and there's no excuse for the amount of security he had. There's just no excuse. That was a, an Americanism gone out of uh, security, yes. But that amount of security, no. And he didn't like it, apparently. But he went over to a couple who had a very uh, sick child. Um, they looked like Hispanic uh, immigrant people, but they were lovely. And he made a beeline for them with his sick child. And what was so powerful about the picture, and I couldn't figure out a way to drag it over and to send it out so it might appear on, say, the Mockingbird site, was that the, the parents were seized with feeling. The mother was just weeping. As I say it, I'm uh, aroused to tears myself. The father was weeping, this lovely young couple, uh, weeping as the Pope uh, laid his hands on their extremely sick uh, little child. And I thought to myself, that is why am I so touched by this? Now, what does this say? What does it say even now as I find myself just uh, charged with feeling as I see this uh, man's uh, Christ-like uh, encounters one after another after another? I mean, how many encounters of the, in the Gospels of Jesus with people? It's all one uh, long uh, uh, chronicle of individual encounters on busy days. We know this uh, because we've been preaching sermons on Nicodemus and Jairus' daughter and the woman of the issue of blood and blind Bartimaeus and, and uh, um, Jairus and uh, Matthew the tax collector and Mary Magdalene and uh, one after another after another, Peter, James, and John. And uh, here he was doing exactly the same thing on this, even wider because of the media today uh, Green than his the man in whose the one in whose steps he walks, and these were encounters that just seized me. I, I noticed years ago taking groups, including myself, into the Church of the Holy Sepulchre in Jerusalem. That I was always the moment everybody anybody went in that church, they would weep. I mean, I never saw an exception to this. I never saw an exception, at least among the people that I led. And we 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 were with many many people who'd never been in the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, and as they walked into the church and felt the 
sense of the piety and the Russian pilgrims and the humility of everyone coming and sort of took it in emotionally without even thinking rationally. Everybody cried the moment they walked in. Not a single exception that I can remember. Maybe you're the exception, but I don't remember any. Um, and what is going on? This special edition of uh, PZ's podcast, which follows in the steps, hopefully, of Steven Spielberg's special edition of Close Encounters of the Third Kind. It's a special edition because I'm so overcome by the uh, sense that people had something to say. They needed to say something. Did you see all the pictures of the uh, hundreds of individuals prior to the Mass uh, on uh, on um, on Friday evening, it was, yes, at Madison Square Garden, of people um, being um, shriven by priests, priests right, left, set, left and center, in chairs throughout the building and all the hallways, people confessing their sins and <clears throat> going forward into the main service with a pure feeling, uh, a forgiven feeling about themselves. It was so powerful. Now, what does this say? What does it say? It says that all of us, and I, I want to say that just about everybody, I know you'll say, well, I'm not, you know. Well, you're, maybe you don't fit this, but I would like to make an either-or statement here. Uh, with exceptions, every statement has exceptions, but I would like to make an either-or statement that everybody is sitting on waves and masses and uh, sallies of overcoming tears, of tears that overcome. Everybody is simply by virtue of growing up simply by virtue of being born into this world and growing up, we leave behind, we leave behind so much, and there is so much mourning that is not completed, not even touched. Someone was saying to me the other day that, you know, this is a period in my life that was the most painful period I've ever ever been in. It was someone talking about their college years I was talking to, and he said, uh, I just can't go back there. I just it, it, It's just too much. But you see, when we don't go back there, then it just sits, and then it comes out. Because when, say, uh, Pope Francis comes on the scene, someone who looks with uh, total compassion and complete judge, non-judgmental mercy and uh, conveys uh, the kind of welcome that we all desperately want to have, it somehow uh, opens the floodgates or the lock. Uh, what is it? The lock on the canal is lifted, the gate, and the water pours over the lock. It's like that scene in the... And there are seen in the monolith monsters, that wonderful 1954 or 55 Jack Arnold produced sci-fi of, uh, of the alien crystals that are gigantic and have grown to be 400 feet tall or 300 feet tall that are completely overcome, these, these uh, irreducible alien massive crystals, monoliths, are suddenly overcome by a water that is uh, um, uh, floods onto them because a dam is opened. And it's as if that's... Uh, we're all the monolith monster monoliths, crystal monoliths, 300 feet hard and tall. And then the floodgates uh, come and they're dissolved and uh, uh, they're gone. They're, they're finished. Uh, this is so powerful. I, I don't know about you, but I thought Jeff Dean's uh, post uh, concerning Pope Francis uh, and his listening was very uh, apt and to the point. Uh, last week, uh, Jeff specifically um, inserted a, a video of Anne Long, the great um, um, English um, um, thinker and exponent of listening in the Church of England, uh, someone we know very well personally, but we also admire very, very much for her ministry of listening. And Anne's third point of what you see when you listen, when a person cries, you know you're really there. When you're listening to someone and they really cry, you know 
uh, you're there. And um, because that's where they really live. It's the, you can call it uh, incomplete mourning. You can call it feelings that have been suppressed. You can call it loss, you know, a la Citizen Kane, as I always say. Loss, 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 loss. Life is a chronicle of loss. You lose your youth. You lose your, lose your childhood. I've been focused recently on intimations of immortality by William Wordsworth from 1804 and 1807. Amazing poem. You probably read it in college, but maybe you didn't. Go back and read it. And it's all about the loss of primary sympathy and primary feeling, which is associated in the poet's mind with his child, his inner child, his being a child, a little boy, and early feeling, uh, rushes of feeling uh, that are unvarnished or, shall I say, unmediated and also uncriticized. These uh, feelings that are free and open and create the absolute, what he calls the master light for all future life, but then they're suppressed by the shades of the prison house closing in. I used to believe that was Goethe's phrase, but it's not. It's Wordsworth's phrase. Life is a matter of the shades of the prison house of adulthood close in and you lose it, but it's always there. That, that, that youthful freedom is always there, but it's lost. It's lost in any number of ways. And then occasionally it surfaces again or it comes out or it bubbles up or ejaculates forth and there it is. Wow, it intervenes beyond uh, conscious uh, control and <clears throat> you're there again. And that is uh, what Intimations and Immortality is about. It's the, it's the immortal part of you. I feel that people, when they were um, responding to uh, Francis in the way they have this week, including myself, we were uh, in touch with the immortal part of ourselves the part which is just desperate for understanding, connection in the positive, graceful sense, profound understanding, and the deepest form of acceptance, which allows these deep, buried feelings to come forward. Gosh, I thought of poor Tully and how he was treated. I mean, deposed. I mean, here he, here he is at the greatest point of need in his entire ministry. And the South uh, Florida Presbytery, whatever it is, deposes him. I mean, good grief. Who the I mean, what are they thinking? Where is their Christianity? Where is it? I mean, it's nowhere. And Pope Francis reveals this when he visits the convicted, this, that, and the other thing. Uh, we see it and we long for it and it overcomes us. Now, I want to conclude with this uh, thought that it's an index to you. Why did you cry? when you Go back and see some of these photographs. Go back and see some of these videos. The Catholic, uh, the site of the Conference of Catholic Bishops has the whole thing beautifully done. Look at the moments where he is talking to individuals, rich, poor, handicapped, healthy. Everybody he's talking to is, has tears. I mean, everybody he's talking to is suffering. The people, the donors of St. Patrick's as well as the uh, the Dominican um, immigrant young ladies who sang to him. Everybody has a, a place of enormous need, and that is coming out in the most powerful and abreacting sense. So I would sort of like to ask you, where's yours? I mean, I mean, that's so facile to ask you, but it, you know, you probably have something you know, like that woman, the Episcopalian lady, who came in to see him and, and hoping that there was something that that he would, she would get forgiven for just by being in the same space as he was on Pennsylvania Avenue and wherever it was. And, and, and then the reporter said, well, what is it? And she said, I'm not telling. <laughs> well, you know, you don't tell either. You're probably sitting there right now. You know, you probably sit in church or in a meeting or in, wherever you are at this moment in the car. And you're thinking about something that nobody has the slightest idea that 
Nobody you know has the slightest idea that what you're thinking about. Uh, if you can clear the air just for five minutes and say in meditation, you'll see it in five seconds. What is it? And when someone like Francis, who exemplifies the grace of God, comes along, uh, then it comes out, and it comes out in the most beautiful, unheralded, and healing, and redemptive, and utterly cathartic way. So go back and look at him. That's your homework. Remember he told people that their homework is to pray for him? Uh, look at uh, yourself in light of your tears and where you tear up, and you'll learn the greatest truth about yourself. And now, one more time, we're going to learn this greatest truth of all in Smokey. Thank you very much. You put me 